Hello and welcome to this special edition Year Ahead episode of Bondcast, a podcast series where we discuss our views on the latest themes and events shaping rates markets. I'm Imogen Bakra, European rate strategist, and I'm joined today by our global market specialist, Giles Gale. And on the FX side, we've also got Paul Robson with us. So I'm going straight into today's discussion. But like I said, it's a year ahead special. So we're going to have a bit of a longer term focus today than we usually have um, in these Bondcast episodes. And I'll start with you, Giles. Um, since you're representing all of the rates markets today, perhaps before we get specifically into rates, you can give us a bit of a um, kind of view of the uh, macro backdrop that that we're thinking about for for next year across Europe, the UK and the US? Yeah, I mean, it's very simple, really. We think that growth momentum is pretty strong and we're looking for pretty solidly above trend growth in all the major developed market regions. Um, so and that's the US, EU, the UK and, and, and Europe especially, um, a little bit weaker in, um, in, in China. But overall, now this is going to be um, a good year of growth, we think. And we see the risks to inflation also on the upside. And you know, certainly, particularly in, in places like the US, we see inflation actually reverting um, back towards the target relatively slowly. So we think that central banks have got quite a lot to do. And all of that adds up pretty te- in a pretty textbook fashion to a bearish rates environment. And so we are targeting um, significantly higher rates, in, especially, again, in the US and the euro area. So listeners will know that, you know, we've been bearish for, well, all of 2021, really, in the euro area. And as you've said, we're carrying that theme forwards with us to 2022. When you say bearish, how bearish are we talking? What kind of year end target have we got? And and aside from the kind of strong fundamentals, is there anything else driving that view for, for bearish bonds next year? Okay, so for 10-year treasuries, we're talking about 2.1% as a target for next year. So that is approximately sort of 60 basis points, roughly speaking, from where we are now. So no, it's a, it's, it's a decently large move. Um, in 10-year bonds, we're talking about 0.5% as a target, which is about 70 basis points, roughly speaking, from where we are now. So yes, you know, these are significant moves that we're talking about. Obviously, the expectations, um, component of that about uh, by expectations, I mean, the expectations about the the economic fundamentals, that's the main part of it. But there's also a, a whole flows discussion um, so quantitative easing is going to be switched off essentially in, in all of these regions, um, you know, faster in some places like the UK, um, the, the US is obviously also, you know, we're expecting uh, a taper path down to an end to net purchases by uh, the middle of next year, possibly even sooner. It'll be a little bit slower than that probably in the euro area, but overall that's going to feel most dramatically different in in the euro area because um, in the other regions that will be compensated to a fairly significant extent by less 
supply of bonds from governments because there's a fiscal adjustment um, that goes in the other direction. But that will be less the case in the euro area. And so, you know, I mean, to put some numbers on it, um, and I know that it's difficult sometimes for people to contextualize the you know, numbers on these kinds of scale, but we're talking about possibly four or 500 billion more bonds next year to, to find a home outside of the euro system in the euro area. And that is a pretty big change. So just thinking about that, then we're looking for, you know, higher rates in the euro area, not saying that rate rises are coming next year, but I guess higher rates across, um, across the curve. We think that um, the ECB is going to be, you know, stepping down. They're still going to be there, but purchases next year are going to look a lot less than they were this year. What kind of an environment does that leave for periphery then? Um, are these going to be, you know, a real problem for peripheral bonds next year? Or, or do we think that, that actually um, there's, there's still opportunity? Well, I'd say that the consensus is that it is going to be a problem. And you know, certainly it's a question that we get all the time pretty much every time, I would say, um, you know, because the, I mean, the basic framework um, is that higher rates are you know, bad for debt sustainability and you know, people want to see growth solidly above well, uh, the interest rates paid because that's what helps um, to get the debt to GDP level down over the long term. Overall, we are not that concerned, despite you know, obviously talking about higher rates and also the ECB providing less direct support via its asset purchases. Why? In part because although we're talking about higher rates, we're not talking about such dramatically higher rates that, you know, that this is going to actually mean rising overall interest payments by governments. And that's a little bit hard to understand, but if you just think you know, they're already paying a relatively high rate, if you know, and, and, and you know, that's that that that's falling because interest rates are are so low. But you know, that debt is being rolled constantly, and so you have this big stock on of, of debt on which you're paying a high rate, um, and 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 over you know, the coming years, that will be replaced with relatively less expensive uh, less expensive debt. The ECB is also going to be there for the long term. Um, you know, it already holds you know, between a quarter and a third of, uh, of, uh, of, of, of most sovereigns' debt, and you know, that you know, that support will be there for the long term. Um, you know, I think that that is important to remember. And yeah, so you know, it's a combination of you know, reasonably positive fundamentals. So you know, strong growth, that's good higher inflation, that's also good. Uh, now these things you know, matter and should, you know, um, should sort of replace in the, in, in the market's kind of assessment of its confidence of, uh, of sovereign debt, um, the loss of the asset purchases, I think. Okay, so higher rates really across the board, but I guess most so in, in the UK and the US, tighter peripheral spreads. Um, perhaps you could just talk about what our expectations are for the curve then um, across Europe and, and the US and the UK as well. Well, so here we have a bit of a differentiated view. Uh, we're looking for steepeners in, in Europe, and that's a quite sort of strongly held view. Steepeners have had a really tough time um, over 2021, and you know, I think it's it's a little bit 
it's, 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 an, it's an interesting story because you know, the, the macro fundamentals seemed to be almost the perfect ones for a curve steepening. But of course, we, and we saw some of that in the first half of the year, which then you know, sort of ran into trouble around the middle of the year and then never really recovered from there. We think that because the big story will be QE ending, whilst uh, you know, front end rates will be, you know, the policy rate will adjust upwards relatively slow, relatively more slowly. You know, we don't think that's a 2022 story. We think that's for 23, 23 and, and, and beyond. Now that automatically supports a steepening, a steepening bias in, in Europe. And you know, just in general, I think that you know, higher inflation is a significant change for, for, for the euro area and should support higher rates uh, all the way along the curve in, um, in, in Europe. On the other hand, in the US and the UK, we actually think that because central banks will be starting to raise rates next year, and because the fundamental question will be about what about how far they'll lift the policy rates over the course of this cycle, you know, probably into 2023, maybe even 2024, we think that as markets revise that, 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 that idea of what the terminal rate in this cycle will be upwards, then that is going to, to drive more of a curve flattening, um, whilst at the same time, you know, there's less of a dramatic change in the, um, in, in the sort of supply of bonds being you know, going into the public domain, not being absorbed by, uh, by asset purchases by the central banks. You know, that change is, is, is less dramatic in the US and, and, and the UK. And you also, we think, you know, have ongoing uh, pensions and you know, sort of strategic rebalancing between um, stocks and uh, in, into bonds in the US and, and the UK, which we actually you know, see less uh, as, as less of a driving force in Europe. Okay, great. Thank you, Giles. One last question to you before I hand over to the FX side. It's just really, you know, I know I said that this podcast was focused on a long-term view and perhaps this is a bit short-termist, but we have seemed to have a lot of confidence in this kind of strength of the recovery still next year, the removal of central bank accommodation. How does that all fit with the kind of COVID numbers that we're seeing at the moment? Are we concerned about this being a major risk to our forecast or do we think that this is just a kind of winter phenomenon that will by Q1 will be past us again this wave. Okay, so it, it clearly is a risk to, to, to growth in, in the short term. So I think that we'll probably see, um, no, I mean, it's, I think it's probably right to, to downgrade our confidence a little bit for, for growth in Q4. But overall, you know, we've seen shallower dips in activity with each successive wave. Um, you know, I think that you know, there, there, there's clearly less concern in you know, countries like France and Iberia, Italy, and so on, where vaccination levels are, are higher. So you know, I think you're expecting it to be relatively better contained. But overall, you know, we've seen you know, that people have learned how to adapt better to, to, uh, to COVID waves over, over you know, 
the various ones that we've had over the course of this year. The rebounds tend to be relatively quick as well. So I think whatever you're taking away um, from activity in the, in the short term, you're probably adding back a little bit later on. So I don't, I don't think as a base case, it knocks us off um, the, the path that we thought that we were on either. And it seems like that is also the way that the ECB is thinking at this point. But obviously we're, we're watching it closely. Great. Thank you, Charles. All right, then, for our year ahead special, I mentioned it at the top of the podcast, but we're not just Bond cast today, we're Bond and FX cast, which doesn't quite have the same ring to it, but <laughs> we'll allow it this week. So, Paul, given everything that we've heard from Giles, I guess, around, you know, the macro backdrop, what we're thinking about rates, what do you think will be the number one theme for currencies next year? Well, I think the number one theme for our markets will be this idea that you get relatively solid growth, but importantly for currency markets, uh, highly differentiated growth. So uh, a, a recovery that's not very synchronized, which we're, we're normally used to getting a synchronized uh, recovery. At the same time, as the world just seems a lot more inflationary. If you think about the five themes that we set out in our, our year ahead, uh, they all point to, to more inflation. But crucially, each economy will be impacted Differently, And if you get that combination of differentiated growth with inflation outlooks that vary, you get, along with central bank reaction functions that have been evolving over time, you get policy divergence. Um, relative growth also drives equity flows, which are important for currency. So those two drivers um, at a very simple level are just crucial for the, the outlook. And we think that they are going to dominate and, and will form our, our, our thinking. Uh, one of the ones where we're, we're particularly focused on is shortages. So, you know, we hear a lot about chip shortages and more bearings in the goods sector, but it's actually the, the labour market, which I think is going to be uh, crucial shortages. And, and it's, it's impacting all the economies differently. So here in the UK, we've got you know, apparent shortages of uh, labour, US legacy of Trump immigration, uh, shortages of labour. Down in the Antipodeans, Australia and New Zealand, they've got strict border controls, which is, again, restricting immigration, which is, has been important for their economies. Uh, but then when you look to the euro area, you just don't seem to have that friction in, in labour markets. And the, the implication for that is a, a more dovish uh, ECB. So um, we think that reaction functions of central banks for differentiated growth and inflation outlook uh, will be crucial. And the way that we've sort of termed it is just concentrating on the, the squeeze middle central banks. So you have a set of central banks that have already started to tighten. They're, they're signaling they're going to tighten 25 basis points a quarter. That's in the, the curve. You have a set of central banks that are telling you they're just not going to tighten through next year, maybe in 2023. That's a long way off. So think about the ECB, Bank of Japan, SMB. But then in the middle, You've got these central banks that are going to be squeezed into perhaps going to places that they don't really want to go in terms of uh, policy because of that growth, uh, labour market shortages, inflation. And in there, you've got uh, the Fed, you've got the Bank of England, you've got the RBA uh, and the, the Ritz Bank. So concentrating on the squeeze middle is, I think, the, the key thing for next year. Given that then and this idea of the squeeze middle, what would you say are your top picks? going into 2022 for, for currency pairs? Well, we think sterling fits that framework very nicely. You've got relatively 
strong growth. Um, if you look at the, the forecast for the OECD countries, the UK is going to have some of the strongest growth. You've got the central bank that's saying it's going to tighten. Um, and I think what's, what's been crucial um, over the last couple of weeks is a tightening cycle that is more growth sensitive. So um, policy mistake risk for sterling a, a misprice. Then when we think about what's always important for sterling is how do you fund a current account deficit? Well, potentially quite quite easily. Last year, um, it was funded. This year, it was funded. Uh, you've got relatively high growth. You've got a tightening central bank. You've got apparently cheap, on a relative basis, uh, asset prices, and international investors seem to be uh, underweight. So we think uh, sterling does relatively well against those central banks that are set to be inactive. So whether it's um, the ECB and the Euro uh, Swiss franc, um, the uh, uh, Swiss National Bank and the Bank of Japan. Uh, another uh, trade that we like is long dollar yen. So again, focusing on this idea that uh, the market can price in earlier rate hikes from the Fed and particularly steeper and to a, a higher point uh, because the average inflation targeting uh, framework is sort of caught up with them a little bit um, and you get that policy divergence, which is crucial uh, for dollar yen. Uh, we think uh, long energy FX because we think there's an infrastructure story uh, that supports energy prices. So long uh, Norwegian krona, CAD, Aussie uh, against euro and Swiss. We think that's important. Uh, and then finally, short euro, uh, Swedish krona, because we think that of all the central banks in Europe, maybe the one that's um, going to find it a little bit hard to stay dovish and match the ECB is the risk. Um, and we think an adjustment of inflation expectations ultimately is going to be crucial. And with that sort of above consensus euro area growth outlook, um, that's a, you know, tends to help the Swedish krona, and we think that that's a, a topic for next year. Thank you. It's, it's interesting, you know, given everything that you said with regard to central banks and the growth outlook, et cetera, that um, euro dollar didn't feature on, on the list. Where are you, what's your thinking on, on that and into next year? Yeah, so the, the reason we didn't have that as a top pick is that we actually think it's something to watch for early next year rather than the here and now. So we think directionally we go lower in euro dollar, ECB stays um, dovish, um, the Fed expectations portfolios are already uh, set out. But when we look at our long term valuation models, they're, they're starting to just start to flash that euro dollar is too low. So you have this balance of you know, when do you pull the, the trigger on some misalignment structural changes in, in FX rates? And actually, the, the theme, I guess, for euro dollar is that it's not now, but early next year. So we, we fully expect to um, have a directional pull on euro dollar early next year. So I just say just watch this space. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Paul. It's never easy writing a year ahead, ahead of three live central bank meetings in December, is it? Um, all right. Thank you both very much for joining me. Uh, and thank you for our listeners. Just a reminder that if you like today's episode, uh, please don't forget to hit the like button and hit subscribe so you can listen to our latest episodes as soon as they're available. See you next week.